It's Easter Sunday. Um, and there's a traditional greeting that's used around the world uh, on this day. It's been used for a long time. It's traditionally known as the Pascal greeting. Uh, many of you probably are aware of this, but it's where one person says he is risen, and then the rest um, say in response to that, he is risen indeed. And so with that tradition in mind, let's practice that a couple times. Cool? All right. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Come on. He is risen. He is. Easter is a festival. It's not just a holiday. It's a festival. It's a festival. It's a celebration. It's a party. Because there's an empty tomb. And with all good celebrations, with all good parties, um, I hope that you've had the chance to eat some good food today at some point. I know some of you I was talking to came straight from work and you probably didn't get a lot of good food today. So help yourself to the donuts on your way out. So I have a question for you with all that in mind. Um, And I want you to take this question seriously because this isn't a rhetorical one. I'm going to ask you to actually say things out loud, okay? What is a guilty pleasure type of food for you? Okay, what's a guilty pleasure type of food for you? Notice what I'm not saying. I'm not saying what's your number one. Like I'm not asking for a top 10 ranking so you don't have to feel that pressure. That's cool. It could be a favorite restaurant, a snack, a dish, whatever it is, just something that you eat. And whether it's good for you or not, it's just so enjoyable. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and give you a second to think about it. You thought about it. All right, again, not number one, just any on the list, whatever comes to your mind. So go ahead now and everyone say it out loud right now. Oh, I heard Cheez-Its. That's the one I got out of that. Great job. Cheez-Its are so good. And they have so many different flavors. It's great. Yeah, like classic cheese. It's hard to beat, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. So good. I couldn't really understand the rest of you, but I trust that they were really good answers. It's awesome. My mind turns the cheesecake from the Cheesecake Factory. Like it, like it. Cool. Those slices of cheesecake are like literally thousands of calories of deliciousness, right? There's not a single calorie wasted in a slice of cheesecake from the Cheesecake Factory. I didn't discover it until I was an adult. And, and I went for the first time and I got the red velvet cheesecake. And I loved it so much, which is crazy because I, before that point in my life at 18, I had never actually thought of red velvet. I'd had it a few times, but like it wasn't like one of those things where I was like, I need red velvet. Um, and I tried it. And I, I used to say to people that wanted to go to Cheesecake Factory, I was like, get the red velvet cheesecake and, and then just try to imagine something bad at the same time. You can't do it. It's too delicious. You can't do it. Um, but the only thing, though, is even at that young age, I wasn't satisfied with one slice. You feel me? I, I needed more than just 1,250 calories of cheesecake. Just wasn't enough for me. I wasn't satisfied. And so eventually a few friends um, went with me back to Cheesecake Factory. And this time around, we went again for dinner. And this time around again, we ordered, uh, I ordered myself an entree and a dessert. And so I ordered my entree first as is the custom. And, uh, and I ordered the best entree on the menu. I'm sure those of you who enjoy Cheesecake Factory, when that one friend asks you to a birthday dinner at Cheesecake Factory, uh, I ordered a slice of the most refined chocolate tuxedo cheesecake for my entree. 
And then I ordered dessert after. And then I went back to the red velvet cheesecake. I had a desire. And so, and I knew that one slice wasn't going to cut it. So I needed two slices. So I did it. And that was my, literally my entire meal. Um, now, because it's Easter, I thought I'd write you guys a poem to explain how this ended up. Okay. It's a couplet. <clears throat> one slice didn't fulfill the desire Two would do the trick. Yet inside of my desire being fulfilled, two just made me sick. Thank you. Thank you. Now I'm going to be honest. I actually wrote that. When I wrote that down, I, I actually didn't mean for that to rhyme. And then I realized it was a couplet. And so then I was like, now I have to say it like a couplet. I mentioned my love of Cheesecake Factory because desires are fairly important for all living creatures, right? Especially those of us who are a part of the human race. Um, we have desires. We have basic desires that are met by, ba that are stem from basic needs, air, shelter, food, water. Those are basic for human survival. Without them for very long, things don't go very well for us, right? I think sleep's in there too. Five. Okay, well, I'd sleep. But to really live, to really enjoy, like thrive in life, there are other desires that we have that are vital to the human experience that we would say, right? Things like um, companionship, friendship, to be understood, to be productive, to make a difference um, to an extent, to be generous, to have some level of control over our lives, to love others and be loved in return, to care for another human being, to not be alone, to just simply enjoy life, right? Writing about desires, author C.S. Lewis wrote it this way, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exist. A baby feels hunger, well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim, well, there is such a thing as water. But what about when you find yourself with a desire that seems impossible to satisfy, you have a longing in your soul that like an itch that's just right out of reach of your ability to scratch it. What then? And so for the sake of our time together tonight, I'm going to refer to this out of reach desire as our longing for home. What is home, if not a place of belonging, satisfaction, safety, contentment, peace, that nothing, not the best vacation, not even a Disney cruise, not the best marriage, job, friend group, or, um, or church community can ultimately satisfy. Now, we live in a world that promises much, page after page, of pleasures and challenges and adventures and relationships, all screaming like a cheesecake factory menu. I have found your true home and it's this way. Order this next. But I wonder if this quest for more, if it's just like stuffing down more cheesecake that doesn't satisfy, but ultimately just makes us sick. Yet we were like, but maybe the problem wasn't the tuxedo red velvet combo. Maybe that combo was the issue. Next time I'm going key lime pie. And then, then, then it'll be cut. So we tried new varieties on the menu, filling ourselves up with slice after slice, hoping that the next 
will bring the satisfaction that our souls are longing for. Lewis goes on to write, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I have, was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures can satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it in the first place, but only to arouse it, to suggest at the real thing. Home. Can you, can I, can we ever find this elusive home that our souls are longing for? We've been in the series Homecoming, and this is the, the grand finale of it tonight with Easter Sunday. We started as that video showed in Genesis and been working through mapping God's desire to draw near to humans. And tonight we finish in the book of Revelation. We're in Revelation 21 and 22, if you happen to have a Bible with you. By the way, we always have um, free Bibles available, the beautiful blues. Um, they're always in the back on a Bible cart. Feel free to take one with you if you don't have a Bible yourself. If you are using a beautiful blue, it's on page 1143. It's a little bit of a cheat. Uh, and if, if you're using a digital version, I'm going to be reading out of the English Standard Version. So in the scriptures, we discover God's answer to this longing that we have. It begins in the garden after humanity's rebellion against God, him desiring to draw near even as humanity tries to do life on their own terms. And the story of the scriptures is the replay on that exact same story over and over and over again. And if you're honest, if you're honest with yourself, then you know that's your story as well. That's what we all try to do. God desires to draw near, and yet we want to define good and bad on our own terms over and over and over and over again. And so what we've discovered in this series is the same story has been told over and over and over again. But yet God's desire has come nearer than ever before in the person of Jesus. As the Son of God takes on human flesh to dwell with humans, even taking on the desires and needs of a human. He wasn't an android. He wasn't a ghost. He wasn't um, void of physical need. He had a stomach that digested food. He had a mind that needed to be rested. And what we, we realize in the Gospels is he experienced hunger and thirst. He desired relationship. Even in his most trying moments, he said, will you stay awake with me? To his friends, he didn't want to journey at it alone. And so what we actually see is a God who is fully self-sufficient, but yet willing to take on the fragility of human needs and desires. Talk about what God is willing to do to make himself near. And if you read the Gospels, you discover that Jesus, both fully God and yet putting aside many of his divine privileges for a time so that he can experience fully what it means to be one of us. Experiencing desires, frustrations, joys, even temptation. What will God not do to draw near? And then on the day that we now refer to as Good Friday, where Jesus surrendered even the most basic of human 
need or desire, the desire to continue living by laying down his own life, being hung up onto a cross, allowing his innocent life to hang there in brutality and humiliation. Experiencing the brutality of a death. And this death was not just a symbol and it's not just a metaphor, but it's literally Jesus, God, bearing the weight and cost of human sinfulness on himself. Think about if, if in the Gulf there was a huge oil spill and it was so large and grimy and, and, and there's no solution to it. And then magically a giant sponge gets dropped up and somehow it takes all of the sludge into itself, absorbing every bit of the oil. All of the devastating effects are being put on the saving sponge. Now, this analogy, like all analogies, break down at a certain point, though, because you see this sponge, the sponge can only absorb the burden. But Jesus not only absorbs the burden, but he goes further and he pays the entirety of the cost for the disaster from the beginning. Which leads to the impossible being tragically made possible. When Jesus hanging on the cross says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That inside the Trinity, there is some version of a separation in play that's beyond what any of us could possibly fathom. For the father couldn't look at his own son bearing the burden, paying the cost, drawing his final breath. He surrenders his spirit. And eventually his body's removed from the cross. It's cleaned and it's prepared and it's rested in a tomb. And all those who hated and inspired against Jesus go away pleased. That all those who had put their hope and faith and friendship in him go away in absolute anguish. And for three days his body lay there. Lifeless. Motionless. We know what happens next in the story. And so that can cheapen the effect of what's happening in this moment. But then, as dawn breaks, his heart beats. His blood begins to flow. He breathes in. And his lungs once again expand. The human brain can't go longer than two minutes without oxygen. But his brain regains functionality as synapses begin to fire off again. And the stone gets rolled away from the entrance of the tomb and he walks out. You know the human body doesn't normally do this kind of stuff, right? Dead bodies typically stay that way. Now, I mentioned this for a few different reasons. One, it's pretty cool. <laughs> but two, because it connects to the Incredible Hulk. Okay. When you watch a Marvel movie and you see the Incredible Hulk in it, are you concerned if he can pick up a taco? No. Okay. What about a 45-pound weight? No. What about car? No, he's the Hulk. Like, that's easy stuff. But why is it easy stuff? Well, why do you know that it's easy stuff? Is because you might have seen him in other pieces of media, in comic books or um, in a movie 
or some other place where you see him doing incredible things. He's the Incredible Hulk. And so he smacks down in Avengers that giant uh, alien bus, basically. That's like 10 buses put together, and he just like punches it in the face, and its scales fly off. Same movie, he t- picks up Loki and he just slams him down and like puny God, right? Like, like you know what he's capable of. You've seen his strength move in unbelievable ways. And so you're not going at the edge of your seat. Oh my goodness, is he going to pick up the taco? Yeah, or 45 pounds or the car, the car's too heavy for him, right? Like, no, because you know what he's capable of. In Romans 5, verse 10, Paul writes this, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Much more. We've seen what he's capable of. Much more. Paul's writing about confidence in what Jesus has accomplished, that we have confidence now in eternal life, that we are saved, that we are reconciled in nearness to God. Why? Because he defeated death. Jesus has already defeated the greatest enemy. And if he defeats the biggest villain in the cosmos, death, then what else could possibly stand in his way? Everything else is a 45-pound weight, right? Like, just, like, throw it up in the air like it's a coin. Like, what else you got? You're throwing a car? He's that strong. I don't want you to put a pin in that because we're going to come back to that part later. But this connects to our soul's longing for home. Is he powerful enough for home? to bring us home, to make us home. This place of safety, belonging, purpose, where we are known for who we truly are and still loved. And so we look, but because we we live on planet death, this place that is filled with chaos um, and disruption and disorder, we look for home right here, right now, because this is the only place we have ever resided. And so we look to find satisfaction where we can find home. At least a version of it, right? And communities based on things like um, family and friends, uh, political affiliations, our career spaces, our identity groups that are based on nationality, ethnicity, gender, or sexuality. And then within the church for us Christians, we can, we have our own like particular like little niche version of this where we look for our true home wherever we can. Um, in the identity of our church, a particular denomination or theological camp. And we're like, here's home. Here's where I belong. But even the best pieces of those list spaces, they're not home. They're not. And so we go down the list and we're like, I'll join different communities and look for the satisfaction. And as we take bites out of each one, we're like, this isn't it either. And so we go on and on with the list. Now for you though, wherever you have been longing to find this home, this true satisfaction, my question for you is, is it working? Is it working for you? Maybe in some ways, if you're like me, maybe in some ways, but if you are a human being with a pulse, the answer is likely not completely. 
And even when it looks like everything is going your way, when your life experience is feels pretty good, your life experience also tells you that this kind of this phrase, like enjoy it while you can. Like when things are going well for you, it's like enjoy it while you can. Because you know that even the best satisfaction in this life, it doesn't last forever. It's not safe. It's not secure. It's not permanent. It's everything is temporary. The best jobs, best relationships, best communities. We are in a fragile world with fragile people. We all will draw our last breath. And even, and even when it feels like you get what you want, your life experience, if you are anything like me, has probably taught you that the satisfaction only really lasts as long as the serotonin hits, hit, is as pumping through your brain as it was. In other words, as long as you're still excited about the things that are satisfying you. But didn't you guys get Christmas Day syndrome? Like you're excited about the new toys that you get in your life and then, and, then, and then it becomes like old hat and then it's that thing that's resting on the other side of your room. Or even if it's something that you really like and you keep around for a while, it doesn't give you that excitement as when you open the present, right? Now, I share all of that not to just be a downer, um, but because of this, that these are things that I'm assuming to, our, to some extent we are all already aware of in our own heart and soul right? But as Lewis is explaining this quote, just because you have an experienced satisfaction for your soul, it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. He goes on to say, I must keep alive in myself the desire of my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of my life to press on to that other country and to help others to do the same. I like that. And so now let's go to Revelation 21. We're going to start in verse 1. And what John records in this vision is this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have been passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give you from the spring of the water of life without payment. Amen. To connect Lewis to this passage, this is the vision of our true country, our home. If you find yourself with the desire that nothing on this earth can satisfy, then logically, 
According to Lewis, you were created for this world as it stands. You were created to find your home in your true country. Just as a duck finds its true home as it goes out onto the water doing what ducks do. As a baby crawls up to its mother to receive milk. As babies do. And they find a home and comfort there. Our true country, our true home. It's not of this world. It's not like this world. But notice it's also very much like this world. See, some of this imagery you might have heard before, and uh, you might have heard this in a, in a space that makes you believe that this is describing um, the version of heaven that exists. If you were to die tonight and then uh, following Jesus and you, and you go and you, your soul is with God. And, and, and maybe for that, you're like me when I was growing up and that thought didn't excite you a ton. You're like, that's better than the other place, but like, I kind of like it on the here and now right now, right? And you envision it as some place where you're both disembodied but playing a harp, however that works, um, or a place that's kind of like just boring. And who wants that, right? But see, this isn't that space. This is the future. This is our future, and it's a new future. He says that it's a new heaven. Uh, the Greek word here for heaven isn't actually heaven in the sense that we understand it. It's actually the word heavens. In other words, the cosmos, everything outside of planet earth. And so everything outside of planet earth, the cosmos will be made new, and so will planet earth. The new earth will be made new. But the Greek word used here for new also is not what we think of when we typically think of new. Like when my iPhone is getting a little old and Apple releases a new one that has three new features and a slightly better camera, I'm like, I need the new one. That's not what it means. It's not a replacement of the old. God isn't done with this earth. In the Greek, what this means is it is a renewing, an epic overhaul of what is already existing. It's a sponging of the cosmos of all the effects of death and sin and decay and darkness and bondage. All of that stuff is taken away. And the re, there's a renewal of the entirety of the cosmos and planet Earth. Because what God is doing is he is making new our world, our cosmos, our planet to be fit for his presence to dwell with his people. And you see, in this new home, I love these descriptors, right? Every tear will be wiped away from your eye. The Greek word that's used here is not what you might typically think when we're thinking of wiping away a tear from an eye. Maybe you've had a loved one who was in a state of grief or just sadness and you wiped away their tear right here because that's what we can do. Now, it's, it's not, I don't think it's legal to do what this is actually talking about, but the sentiment checks out. What it's actually talking about is as if God were to go behind your tear ducts and get the very causation of the tear in the duct and pulling it out. Don't do that. Don't do that. Bad stuff. In other words, the very causation of your sadness will be removed. The best we can do when we wipe away a tear from our cheek is we say, it's going to be okay, right? What God says is it is okay. You are okay. Death is done. Mourning has been handled. Crying. Well, you already talked about that. It's an irrelevancy though. So we'll 
say it again. Pain is gone. Why? Because what John records is because the former things have been done away with. They're gone. The former stuff, the broken stuff, the ugly stuff, the damaged stuff, it's gone. We don't have, con- we don't have concepts for this because we've never lived in that land. We are people who have never, who have never existed in our true home. See, these things belong to that country, our true one. And John goes on to describe all that he is experiencing and witnessing in this vision of true home. And his words clearly fail him, but he does his absolute best. He describes their true home is going to be a place where there are no more defensive barriers or walls. Because there's no enemy to guard against. And there's this capital city, this new Jerusalem that will come from the heavens and it will make its way. It'll kiss the earth. Now, Jerusalem is literally translates to the city of peace. The only problem is this city of peace in Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem has never known peace for an extended period of time. Ever. The city of peace has never known peace. Even this week in the headlines, it doesn't know peace. But this new Jerusalem will. It will be the true city of peace that this one that, that is that is flawed and filled with humans, which means it is broken and decaying just like the rest of us. That one will be replaced by the new one. And 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 you see, you get this you get this feeling from John as he is experiencing that said he is blown away by what he is trying to perceive. Revelation 21, verse 22. If you want to head there with me. He says, And I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the lamb and by its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gate will never be shut by day and there will be no night there at all they will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations but nothing unclean will enter it nor anything who does what is detestable or false but only those who are written in the lamb's book of life See, God doesn't need a temporary temple that is made by human hands anymore. That was a temporary messer. But God has brought home there to the entire city because the entire city represents his presence forever. He doesn't need a temple because the, the entire place is his throne. It's his footstool. In fact, they, use, they go to pains to explain that the dimensions of this new Jerusalem are very different than what our current Jerusalem has ever been like because it's a perfect square. And the specific, the specific dimensions of this were the same dimensional ratio of the Ark of the Covenant, which you might remember when you talked about the tabernacle and the temple. And the Ark of the Covenant was this place in the temple that, that represented and hovered above it was God's own presence. So the entire city represents the place of God's own presence. 
all the broken and sinful and evil realities of this world, they can't enter. Because hey, the, all the things that are broken in our hearts, they're not present. They're forever made untrue. Wouldn't you guys love if all the damaged, broken, um, wicked things of this world were just untrue? You can't even imagine it, right? We've never known that. My thoughts aren't that most of the time, right? But this is a city that is beaming with beauty and truth and delight. But see, it's not only a city, it's also a garden. Verse 1 of 22 says this, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, up either side of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. If you've been with us throughout this series, you remember how it started with this tree of life right? This tree that represents God's own life force, that we, by taking of it, we partake in God's own life, his eternal life. But because of the brokenness of human sin, we have been separated from it for the vast majority of the scriptures, from, Revelation, from Genesis chapter 3 all the way to now. But now the tree makes its appearance again. The tree of life is back. And it's, and it's a tree that's on both sides of a river. It's one tree, two sides of a river. Figure that one out. But it's awesome, right? And it's leaves. It heals the nations. This garden city is our true home. So consider right now the longings in your soul all the desires that nothing on this earth seems to satisfy. A home of lasting safety and adventure of joy and friendship, a world without need. Just as a duck is satisfied when it's on the water or a baby is satisfied as, as it receives milk from its mother. Every longing of your soul is meant to be satisfied in your true home. Now imagine though, if you were walking through a forest, um, pretend there's forests in Florida and you're walking through the forest and you stumbled upon a perfect utopia, a perfect utopia. Assume there's a bubble so hurricanes can't affect it either. Okay. And it, it's just beautiful beyond your dreams and you're allowed in and you go in and you can live there and it has all the leisure, all the adventure, all the friendship, all the best food and no sickness. It's awesome. There's no prejudice. Wouldn't that be awesome? That's utopia. The only thing is there's no Jesus in it. Could you be satisfied with a utopia that does not have Jesus in it? And I say this because oftentimes I know this is in my heart and, and, I, and I'm going to assume that I'm not the, the only knucklehead in the room, but what we can do as humans is we can think of the good things we want from him rather than him. We reduce them to a tool to get whatever version of our good life is. We want the healing. We want the promotion. We want the relationship. We want the peaceful feeling. We want the mental health. We want eternal life. 
And so he's our ticket. Or on the adverse side is we want to avoid the bad life. So we don't, we want to avoid a life that is free from fear and disease and depression and addiction and definitely hell. So we're like, I'll, I'll, I'll cozy up to Jesus because he's a great tool. But Jesus isn't a tool. He, whether you know this or not, whether you recognize this to be true or not, he is your king. He is your master. He is the one who has come to save you. He is your friend. He desires to be your good shepherd. He desires to be your beloved. He desires to be your protector, your everything. The one who your heart longs for. And he wants to draw near to you. Whether you know this or not, whether you even believe he's real or not, whether you really believe that there was a literal Jesus who hung up on a cross, that there was ever an empty tomb. What you believe to be true about it, the scriptures say what is true about it. And what we discover in the scriptures is that Jesus wants you. He loves you. And he wants you to learn to love him because in him is satisfaction in him is hope is joy not because he can give you the things that produce those things but because he is those things he doesn't just want to give you the good life he wants to give you so much more than that he wants to give you himself and so go to verse 3 of 22 now no longer will there be anything accursed be But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. You see, what makes this new earth, this new Jerusalem, this new place our true home, it's not just that it lacks all the broken stuff. It's not that it's just filled with all the wonderful stuff. What makes this our true home is that it is the dwelling place of God with humanity with you and me. And what gives all of this true beauty is that God's nearness will be with us forever. We have never experienced that. At your best, when you have had spiritual moments with God, when you have felt so near to him, those are just a signpost to what's to come. He is our true home. Now, if you're anything like me, Maybe you're thinking right now, well, I've tried the whole Jesus thing before. And um, in some way, it was satisfying for a time. In other ways, it felt like just the next slice of cheesecake, right? So you chalk it up to that time or that season or the way that you're raised, um, quote unquote, in religion. Now, here's something you should know about our, our biblical community. If you're newer to being around here, what you should know is we have zero desire to sugarcoat things around here. We don't want to put up fronts. And if we do, we're sorry. And so personally, what I have experienced is I have experienced such rich and deep and intimate seasons with Jesus. Where it feels like he's so near. Where it feels like I'm on the mountaintop with him. And I have experienced many seasons that feel very much like the opposite where it feels dry and burdensome 
feels distant and filled with longing. And maybe you're like me, you have been following Jesus for some time, but even still you feel this longing deep inside you. And so all of this talk about your true home, it kind of rings suspicious. You're like, well, I mean, if he's not delivering on the goods in the here and now, how do I know that in the future that's what's coming? But here's what I found to be really encouraging for me personally and a huge comfort. I hope it would be to you as well. Costco samples. Costco samples are awesome. Does anyone agree? You guys like Costco? Yes. Okay, good. All right, good. You guys have a pulse. Okay, great. Costco samples are awesome. I love Costco samples, but they're not meant to fill you up. They are a foretaste into the wonder that will happen when you bring all of those taquitos or trail mix or broccoli cheddar soup. It's great, but it's a foretaste. But also they're never as good when you get home, right? See, those moments of deep intimacy with Jesus, when you are experiencing such intimacy and depth in the grace of God, when you feel so near that you could just reach out and touch him, those are a sample, a foretaste of your true home. It's not because God desires to be distant. It's because we are still vastly imperfect creatures. We have human sinfulness still in effect, but we affectionately refer to as the old man. And the old man or old woman is not a super kind or loving person. And that person desires to do things our own way, to do things on our own terms. But in those moments of when those moments of nearness and that lasting satisfaction, that stuff is only a foretaste of it. A sample of what is to come when all the broken things inside have been made untrue forevermore. See, the story of the scriptures tells a unified story that since the beginning of time, God's desire is to draw near. From the rebellion in the garden all the way till this room tonight, God has never stopped making a way to bring home near and near and near to us. Now, how can we trust God in this? How can we trust him? Take the pen out of the Incredible Hulk example from earlier, okay? We know that the Incredible Hulk defeats great and powerful villains. So we're not concerned when it's a 45-pound weight or a car. We're like, oh, that's puny stuff for the Incredible Hulk. And what we also know is Jesus has already defeated the greatest enemy the world has ever known in death. Death has been disarmed. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 55, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is how powerful Jesus is. I realize how messed up this world feels sometimes, how out of control it feels most times, how, how the best moments have this twinge to it. I feel it too. And so it can feel like sometimes, does Jesus really have the upper hand here? It doesn't feel like it all the time, but it's not even in question. He's already defeated the villain. And so what we need to be reminded of is of this story of victory. We refer to it as the gospel. The good news 
And we must be reminded of this story of victory every day. We need to remind ourselves and one another daily of the cross and the empty tomb and not just on Easter weekend. That Jesus was powerful enough on the cross to bear our sin and shame, absorbing our brokenness into his own body and paying our debt so that we could live as his righteousness. Because he didn't wake up going, wow, that was a close one. He woke up like he just woke up from a nap. He marched out of tomb and he saw, he saw these, these ladies in front of him. He said, it's me. I'm back. Go tell the others. Humiliating our true villain by resurrecting himself from the dead. Can you imagine how disarmed death is? Jesus has already done the heavy lifting. He has already accomplished the most decisive victory in the history of the cosmos. What is coming next in the story? It's not nearly as up for grabs as what came before. And that wasn't even up for grabs. This is the easy stuff from here on out, even though it doesn't feel easy. Anything else that he has promised to have already have happened to those of us who have surrendered our lives to Jesus, that we would know that we are adopted in the forever family of God, that he has sent his spirit to dwell within us, to give you a new heart, to send you out to love others well. Those things are already set in stone. Whether you feel today or not, those things are set in stone. Anything that he has already promised to happen to you one day, to complete the transforming work in your heart, your mind, your soul, your body, to undo all the brokenness in this world and to bring your true home in his presence to collide with planet earth for you to experience for all of eternity. All those things are set in stone as well. They are as decisively decided as the empty tomb. And this is all light lifting, right? For him, for me, for you, we wouldn't be in bad shape. But for him, He's got it. So our call now is to remind each other of this because days don't always feel like this. We're having a great time jamming out and worshiping together, right? But days don't always feel like Easter Sunday. And so on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and every other day and every other holiday, we need to be reminded by ourselves and one another of this good news, reminding one another. And if you're here tonight and you're here simply just asking questions about this whole Jesus thing, Know that this is what we believe we see in the scriptures. God's pursuit of us collectively and of you individually. He won't see you. We don't believe you being here is in coincidence. God wants you to know the depths of his love for you, his care, his security, his transforming power. Jesus comes down to our level and finds us wherever we are at so that he can pick us up, transform our lives as we experience his presence but the catch is that you don't get to pursue it you don't pursue god you can't impress him by showing up to church each easter or each week that's not easter you don't buy the ticket home home is being brought to you through jesus home has come to find you so this is our true homecoming so with this, let me read this over to you. These are the last words in the Holy Scriptures of God. Verse 20. He who testifies to these things say, Surely 
I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. I want to invite the band to come on up. I want to simply encourage you. Hold on to this. Because this is true when you feel it and it's true when you don't. The God of the universe desires to draw near to you. Would you pray with me? Father, you are so good, so kind, so loving. You are making all things new. Father, would you remind us of this tonight, tomorrow, when we feel it, when we don't. For all of us who are here tonight and don't know you, we've never surrendered our lives to you. Lord, help us to cross the line, to be so compelled by your spirit that the veil would be lifted off of our eyes to see you for who you truly are, to be so compelled by your beauty and wonder how we just want to know you more. Remind us of the gospel, that the victory is won. Remind us of this as we remind one another until we are finally home with you forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.